Mark 10, verses 17 to 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternally, who are first will be last, and the last first. Thank you, Linda, for that beautiful reading of the Word of God. And um, I must say, it's wonderful to see how even without speaking with people, how the communion service and the worship and the thoughts that are shared and the praise, they kind of all um, fall onto the same theme. And our theme this morning is spiritual truth. We're following our series in the Gospel of Mark, Follow the Servant. And um, before we start, I just want to share something with you. I don't know if, um, like myself, I have not watched a lot of the competitions uh, for the Olympics the past few weeks. I have not seen many events, but what I do enjoy is after an athlete has won a medal, no matter which one, and they are interviewed, I truly appreciate listening to what they have to say. And for the most part, every single athlete, there's one thing in common, though their stories um, are inspiring and challenging and their journey is different in some ways. They all have the same, same thought that they share. And that is 
that for them to follow their dream, to be an Olympian, there was a cost to pay. There was a cost to, to be paid for them to follow their dream. And I would like to suggest this morning that there is a cost to follow Jesus as well. So whether this morning you are someone who is searching for God, spiritual truth, or maybe you have had many years of fellowship with the Lord Jesus, and you know the abundance of his love and his grace and his mercy. I would like to suggest that this question is for both of us. Are you willing to pay the price, to pay the cost to follow Jesus, no matter what God asks of us to do? Are you willing to pay the cost? Let's look a little bit at the person who came to Jesus. The three synoptic gospels all mention that he's rich. Matthew mentions that he's young. Luke mentions that he's a ruler. So he obviously had a lot going for him. He was at a place in his life where he felt very comfortable and very good. He had youth. That's a wonderful thing. I remember that far too well. It wasn't that long years that I, I, I had a full head of hair and I didn't glasses and I wouldn't have to get up in the morning after two ball games and have aches and pains. So this guy had his youth and he had wealth. He had plenty of money. And money, I just want to say off the, it's not a bad thing. Okay? Money is not a bad thing. He was moral and he had religion. He lived a clean life. He lived what it seems to be a blameless life. And he had position from Luke. He was a ruler, probably in one of the synagogues in his, in his communities. This guy seems to have everything that you could He mother would love to have as a son. Religious, moral, wealthy, he had accomplished much. But in spite of everything that he had, there was something that was still left unsatisfied, that was unfulfilled in the deepest part of his heart. Nothing that he had achieved or accomplished was able to fill that void. And I was just thinking, a number of people that each and every one of us know in this, in this life, whether it's friends or co-workers who who are doing extremely well. God has been very good to them in their life. They lack nothing, and yet they lack joy. They lack assurance of what the future holds. They lack peace with God. And so this young man comes to Jesus, and he gets a few things right, right off the bat. He comes to the right person. Evidently, he had heard about Jesus, 
and knew full well that if anyone could answer the questions that he had, Jesus was the one who could do that. We sang a song this morning, and I want to read just a stanza from it. It says, I've, been, I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you can provide, because you know just what we need before a word is said. So this young man, he came to the right person. He came to Jesus. He came in the right manner. He came running. He knows the urgency of the situation. He knows full well what he wants to ask Jesus. And, and this is not a time to just, you know, stroll. And to, he needs to be urgent. And then he falls on his knees. He shows Jesus respect and reverence. He, he calls him good teacher. He knows that he is worthy of kneeling before him. And then after that, he comes for the right purpose. He has been pondering in his heart spiritual matter, eternal life. And there is not a more important question for anyone to consider than eternal life. And so here is someone who has it all, positions, possessions, and privilege, and yet he doesn't know the answer to the most important question that is gnawing away at him. He knows a lot of things, but he doesn't know how to get to heaven. So he comes to the right person. He comes in the right manner. He comes for the right purpose, and he comes at the right time. This is so important. I want us to, at the beginning, the first few words, it says that as Jesus started on his way, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's in the region of Judea, but he's about to pass by. And a lot of people make this mistake. They're searching for spiritual truth. They're pondering eternal things. And then they say, you know what? I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for another time, and I'll, I'll just continue what I'm doing. The prophet Isaiah says that you need to seek the Lord while he may be found and to draw near to him and call on him while he is next to you. Okay, Jesus is not going to be there for a very long time, and he knew this. So he comes to Jesus. And though he has wisdom beyond his age, because let's be honest, most of us at 22, 23, 24, whatever, we don't think of eternal things. Right? We have our whole future ahead of us. But he's pondering this. So he's reflecting upon his future. He's asking himself, what more can I achieve? What is it that I have not experienced in this life that will bring me satisfaction? And so he says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. He seems to think, like many people today, that if you can add just one more thing to your resume, that if you could do one more good deed, that it kind of gets chalked up 
in the record books of heaven. And it's, a, a, it's an extra assurance that we, for you regarding heaven. That's not, that's not the issue. The problem with what he's thinking is that salvation can be earned. That is the big issue. In other words, he wants to have a hand in his salvation. He wants to be part of it. He wants that to be like he's received everything else in this world, that he's worked for it and that he's earned it and that he deserves it. But salvation is not about doing. Salvation is about done. Salvation through Jesus Christ is always about done. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. There is nothing more that you or I can add to anything that Jesus has already done. So Jesus hears this, and he wants to, to challenge this young man in regards to his perception of what he's actually asking. In regards to the person of the Savior, he says, why do you call me good? God is the only person that is the true standard of goodness. And then he asks, in regards to the problem of sin, Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he lists them off. He wants this young man to examine his own heart. He wants him to see that he's not actually as pure and blameless as he says that he is. And I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't disagree with this young man when he says, I have kept all these since I was a boy. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't laugh. Maybe he has kept the commandments. Maybe he has been blameless. But keep in mind, the commandments that Jesus gave are all commandments of how you treat other people. It has to do with uh, outward um, actions, not interior uh, motives. And so Jesus tells them, he says, I have the remedy for you. I have the prescription of what you can do for your question. You see, the problem with man and our relationship with God is it's always about the heart. It's not about what people see outwardly. I love the story when Samuel, the prophet, goes to Jesse, David's father, because Saul is going to be replaced as the king of Israel. And he says, go to the house of Jesse, and I will show you who will become king next. And all David's brothers come out, and surely, surely, this must be the one, this must be the one. And verse 7 of chapter 16 says this. He says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Notice the love and compassion in verse 21 that Jesus has for this person. God's greatest desire, okay, is that none would perish. God loves the unsaved. He hasn't changed. He looks at him with a gaze just deep into the, the very eyes of his soul. And he sees what he needs. He knows what he needs. God's desire is that none would perish because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is exactly what the rich young man went to Jesus for. 
It was regarding eternal life. So Jesus says, you need to do two things. You need to sell your possessions, everything you have, and give to the poor. Please keep in mind that this is not implying that if you give what you have, that you earn salvation. That is not it at all. What Jesus is doing is he wants to remove the main thing in this man's life that is keeping him from God. He wants this man to examine himself and to see what is more important. He's getting to the root of the problem. That's what Jesus is asking him to do. And so his answer shatters any hope that this young man had. He assumed that because he, could, because he was wealthy, that he would be able to buy anything, which included eternal life. <clears throat> and Jesus says, that's not the case. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and then come and follow me. Eternal life is not found in any achievements or any possessions that we have. Eternal life is found <clears throat> in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is found in no other name, no one else, for there is no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is not impressed with what this man has accomplished. He saw who he really was, a sinner in need of a savior. And so he wants, the intention here of Jesus is he wants to determine, is this man willing to pay the price and submit to the lordship of Jesus no matter what it is that is asked of him. There is a cost to follow Jesus. And unfortunately, he chooses his possessions over Jesus. He loved his money more than eternal life and decided to store his treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal when Jesus was offering him treasure in heaven and eternal life. And he walks away sad. God will allow us to make the same choice, by the way. If you are searching for God, if you are in the midst of questioning what life is all about and what eternal life is and how could you have eternal life, God will allow you to make the same decision as this rich young man. It might not be money, that you have. It could be anything else. But God is not going to force you to abandon whatever treasure it is that you cherish in your heart. But you are going to have to make a choice. What is more important? The question is, whatever it is, is it really worth it to forfeit your soul? That's the question. Is it really worth it to forfeit your soul? Because one day, this rich young man 
would not be so young anymore. He would age. He would get old. He would not be involved, probably, in the synagogue. He would retire at some age. He would get sick. And at some point, he, he dies. And all the wealth that he had would not be sufficient, would not be enough to prolong his death and to buy eternal life. So because the cost for this man was too high, eternal life escaped him. He went to Jesus with that main question on his heart. Jesus told him what to do, and he did not listen to Jesus. He was standing in the presence of the Son of God, Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he had asked. That's what he wanted to know. And he walked away sad. What a tragic story. What a tragic story. And so after this incident, Jesus uses this example of the rich young man as a teaching moment for his disciples. He's going to teach them about the truth about riches and the truth about redemption and the truth about rewards. And Jesus uses the example of a camel going through the eye of a needle is much easier than a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples hear this, and they're absolutely, it says, amazed. They're stunned. They're stunned. Jesus is saying it's going to be a difficult thing for people who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because the issue is not so much with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately, more often than not, wealth breeds self-sufficiency and gives you a false sense of security. And the disciples were from a culture, as were Abraham and Moses and Job and Solomon, that being wealthy was a sign of God's blessing on you, God's favor. So wealth, in their eyes, actually should not have been a barrier. It should have been an advantage. And now they're saying, wait a minute. Like, if the rich can't get into heaven, who can? And so Jesus tells them about the truth of redemption. What is impossible with man is possible with God. In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We heard about that this morning at our communion service. You see, there is nothing that we can do apart from trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Peter, he hears this, and he speaks up, and he reminds Jesus, he says, we've left everything to follow you. In Matthew, in chapter 19, he says, what there is in it for us? <laughs> that was his question to Jesus. We've left everything to follow you, homes and families and businesses. What's in it for us? And Jesus tells them, he says, don't worry what you've left for me. I see what you've sacrificed. I have everything recorded. And I am going to give you back hundredfold 
in this world. Because in God's kingdom, riches and rewards are not the same as on this earth. And so he tells Peter, I tell you the truth, no one has left, brothers or sisters or mother or father, will fail to receive a hundred times more in this present age. To put it simply, you can never outgive God. That's what it comes down to. No sacrifice, no cost that is paid on our behalf now can ever be enough to pay back God for what he has done for us. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker that says, the one with the most toys wins? That's not true. That's not even close to the true. Even though you may own much, without Jesus, you are spiritually bankrupt and you have nothing. So three quick applications that I'd like to make regarding this passage. Number one, which is obvious, is that there is nothing that you or I can do to earn our salvation. That is why the story of the little children precedes this passage. You see, the little children in verses 13 to 16, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is for such as these. They are not old enough to have accomplished anything or to have achieved anything. They are just simple children who have faith and trust in what needs to be done. It's all about God. Could you imagine if our salvation depended on how much we did, on what we earned? I wouldn't be in heaven. All you'd have would be rich people. No one else would have a chance because the more money you have, the more you can do, which is good. It's good. But that's not, that's not the case. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. We heard that this morning as well. He saved us. Jesus saved us. Not because of anything righteous that we have done, but because of his mercy. It has nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do with God. And he alone gives us our salvation. There is a cost to follow Jesus. So the question, if you are someone who is searching at the moment, is what is keeping you from heaven? What is it that is worth keeping that you are holding on to so much that is worth more than your very soul? Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You cannot serve both God and money. So where is your heart this morning? If Jesus is passing by you today, if he is near, if you have been praying that God would reveal himself to you, if you have been praying that there would be some kind of a sign that he is real. You're tired of living the life that you've been living. You want something more fulfilling, something that satisfies your soul, 
that everything you have doesn't do right now, then you need to let go of that and trust in God. You need to let go of that and trust in God. What good would it be to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? You need to consider that. And if you are already in a lovely relationship with the Lord Jesus, you are a saved, redeemed person. What is keeping you from following Jesus very closely? Not like Peter did when he was arrested, and it says Peter followed Jesus from afar. A lot of us, including myself at times, are very comfortable following Jesus from afar because there's not really a cost to that, is there? And the third thing is how you respond to Jesus in this life will determine how he responds to you in the afterlife. You are going to have a conversation with Jesus at some point. So what is he going to say? Is he going to look at you and see that your name is written in the book of life and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to look at you and say, I don't know you. I never knew you. Get away from me. The choice, friends, is yours to make. But the choice has to be made. There's a cost to following Jesus. When you first come to him by faith, you're going to have to leave behind what is holding you captive in this world. And then, once we are followers of Jesus, as our theme is throughout the Gospel of Mark, we need to follow the servant. There's going to be a cost to follow him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are long-suffering and patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance and to have eternal life. Father, we just want to praise you that Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but the blood of Jesus has washed it white as snow. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for carrying us through life and satisfying and fulfilling the deepest part of our soul as only you can.